In this presentation, we will discuss a taxpayer under the age 65 with regard to the credit for elderly or the disabled. We can find this information in publication 524. Under age 65. If you are under age 65 at the end of 2018, you can qualify for the credit only if you are retired on permanent and total disability uh, discussed next and have taxable disability income discussed later on disability income. You are retired on permanent and total disability if. Let's go through that one more time. The normal qualification would be to be 65 or older. If not 65 or older, we have some exceptions. Let's go through that exception one more time. If you are under 65 at the end of 2018, you can qualify for the credit only if you are retired on permanent and total disability, discussed next, that's what we'll get into now, and have taxable disability, so note the and, not the or, and have taxable disability income, discussed later under disability income. You're retired on permanent and total disability if. So now we're looking at the definition of what it means to be retired under permanent and total disability. When would, when would that qualification be? So you were permanently and totally disabled when you retired and you retired on disability before the close of the tax year. So those are the conditions. Even if you didn't retire formally, you may be considered retired on disability when you have stopped working because of your disability. If you retired on disability before 1977 and weren't uh, permanently and totally disabled at that time, you can qualify for the credit if you were permanently and totally disabled on January 1st, 1976 or January 1st, 1977. Tip, you are considered to be under age 65 at the end of 2018 if you were born after January 1st, uh, 1954. So that's going to be basically the cutoff. Permanent and total disability. You have a permanent and total disability if you can't engage in any substantial gainful activity. So this is going to be the definition, not being able to gain. Gainful activity is basically kind of work for money. Gainful typically means for the tax code, um, working for money. Activity because of your physical or mental condition. A qualified uh, physician must certify that the condition has lasted or can be expected to last continuously 12 months or more or that the condition can be expected to result in death. So those would be the definitions. Uh, substantial gainful activity. So now we'll define what does it mean to be substantial gainful activity and more definition than I just gave there. So substantial gainful activity is the performance of significant duties over a reasonable period of time while working for pay. So that's kind of working for pay or, or profit or in work generally done for pay or profit. Full-time work or part-time work done at your employer's convenience in a competitive work situation for at least the minimum wage uh, conclusively shows that you are able to engage in substantial gainful activity. Note, information on minimum wage rates is available at, and so here's where you can find the uh, information there, substantial gainful activity isn't work you do to take care of yourself or your home. So note that what gainful activity is not, it's not work just to take care of yourself or your home. It isn't uh, unpaid work on hobbies, institutional therapy or training, school at uh, attendance, clubs, social programs, and similar activities. So these things don't qualify or doesn't mean anything related to the gainful activity. However, we have the however here. The nature of the work you perform may show that you are able to engage in substantial gainful activity. 
So it's basically saying, obviously, if you're doing some type of work for pay, then you're engaging in gainful activity and you're competing in the marketplace. And therefore, uh, you'd be you'd have gainful activity. You'd be able to do that. Clearly, that would be proof, in essence, that, of that. And if these other activities aren't aren't evidence of gainful activities because they're not basically competing in the workplace for work and whatnot. However, uh, the nature of the work you perform may show that you are able to engage in substantial gainful activity. So the fact that we're able to do some of these and if we're, if we're able to do them well, you would think that would be evidence that we might uh, be able to do gainful activity, compete basically in the market and whatnot. So that's my paraphrasing of it. Back to the text. The fact that you haven't worked or have been uh, unemployed for some time isn't itself conclusive evidence that you can't engage in substantial gainful activity. So in other words, just the fact that we haven't work itself, of course, if we were to be working in a gainful situation would be evidence that we can't do so because we are doing so. We're competing in that situation for work and, and whatnot. But the lack of work doesn't necessarily prove that we can't engage in gainful activity on the other side of things. Okay. Back to the text, the following examples illustrate the tests of substantial gainful activities. Example one, Trisha, a sales clerk, retired, retired on disability. She is 53 years old and now works as a full-time babysitter for the minimum wage. Even though Trisha is doing a different work, she is able to do the duties of her new job in a full-time competitive work situation for the minimum wage. She can't take the credit because she is able to gauge in substantial gainful activity so she's still able to engage in that so she can't take the credit because she's under uh, the 63 and doesn't meet all the she's under 65 and doesn't meet all the conditions that would be uh, required because she can be gainful employed example two tom a bookkeeper retired on disability he is 59 years old and now drives a truck for a charitable organization. He sets his own hours and isn't paid. Duties of his nature generally are performed by, for pay or profit. Some, we, some weeks he works 10 hours and some weeks he works 40 hours. Over the year he averages 20 hours uh, a week. The kind of work and his average hours per week conclusively show that Tom is able to engage, engage in substantial gainful activities. This is true even though Tom isn't paid and he sets his own hours. Uh, he can't take the credit. So now they're saying in this example, you know, this obviously this situation, it looks like it's not direct proof that he is actually engaging in gainful activities because he's not in the marketplace getting paid. However, this is kind of that however situation. It seems that the engagement that he is doing is something that he could possibly uh, compete in the market in and do for profit and that's why I, that's my interpretation of why they're saying he can't take the credit in that case because of that evidence okay uh, example three john who retired on disability took a job with a former employer on a trial basis the purpose of the job was to see if john could do the work the trial period lasted for six months during which john was paid the minimum wage because of John's disability, he was assigned only light duties and a non-productive uh, make-work nature. The activity was gainful because John was paid at least the minimum wage, but the activity wasn't substantial because his duties were non-productive. These facts uh, don't, by themselves, show John is able to engage in substantial gainful activities. So in this situation, they're basically saying he may still qualify for the credit. This is my interpretation. May still qualify for the credit, even though actually working, getting paid, 
because it's in a trial period and that trial period isn't really showing the full uh, what the job would actually do at full uh, activity uh, it's basically a test trial period and possibly the not performing at the level that would be necessary under normal gainful employment next example Joanne, who retired on disability from a job as a bookkeeper, lives with her sister who manages several motel units. Joanne helps her sister for one or two hours a day by performing duties such as washing dishes, answering phones, registering guests, and bookkeeping. Joanne can select the time of day when she feels most fit to work. Work of this nature performed off and on during the day at Joanne's convenience isn't activity of a substantial and gainful nature even if she is paid for the work. The performance of these duties doesn't, of itself, show that Joanne is able to engage in substantial gainful activity. So they're basically saying that because of the nature of the work here doesn't necessarily show substantial gainful activity and therefore uh, may still qualify for the credit. Sheltered employment. Certain work offered at qualified locations to physically and mentally impaired persons is considered sheltered employment. These qualified locations include work centers that are certified by the Department of Labor, formerly referred to as sheltered workshops, hospitals and similar institutions, homebound programs, and Department of Veterans Affairs, VA, sponsored homes. Compared to commercial employment, pay is lower for sheltered employment. Therefore, one usually doesn't look for sheltered employment if he or she can get other employment. The fact that one has accepted sheltered employment is not, isn't proof of the person's ability to engage in substantial gainful activity. So they're saying basically if, you're, if you got work at the sheltered employment, uh, it's, it's below the normal market rate and therefore uh, doesn't qualify for the gainful activity. And therefore, because it does not qualify for the gainful activity, may still you may still qualify for the credit then even if you have that uh, sheltered work. Uh, physician's statement. If you are under age 65, you must have your physician's complete and uh, complete, you must have your physician complete a statement certifying that you had a permanent and total disability on the date you retired. You can use the statement in the instructions for Schedule R. Uh, you don't have to file this statement with uh, your form 1040, but you must keep it in your records. So they're basically saying one of the, if you're under 65, one of the requirements is is the permanent and totally disabled. And, and to get that, to get evidence of that, you would need that from the doctor to give the evidence of that. That evidence may not be provided on the 1040. Uh, of, you know, that actual note may not be provided. However, if there was an audit, then we want to make sure that you have that information and just can provide it in the case of, of an audit. For, so veterans, if the Department of Veterans Affairs, VA, certifies that you have a permanent and total disability, you can substitute VA Form 210172, Certification of Permanent and Total Disability for the Physician's Statement. You are required to keep VA Form 210172 must be signed by a person authorized by the VA to do so. You can get this form from your local VA uh, regional office.